lesson, which I'll do uh, next Sunday, will be uh, the attitude with which we replace it. And I know it's going to take a little bit longer to get through the series, but I don't want to skip information, misinformation. Uh, I want to be able to give you the whole shebang. And I don't want to rush through it because if I start speaking quickly and I start just glazing over uh, the material, uh, those of you who are taking notes will not be able to write it down. And uh, then we also lose comprehension when somebody is speaking uh, too quickly. And so that is what I'm going to do if that's okay with you. And if it's not, I'm doing it anyway. (laughs) Amen, amen. So we're talking about embracing promised land attitudes. And this is based on a book that I am reading called Lord Change My Attitude. And uh, so this is, it's a lot of information that I want to share. But let's uh, just rehash a little bit from last uh, time we, we met and had our Life Foundations class. We choose our attitudes. They don't choose us. We choose them. 90% of life is how we react to it, the attitude that we have toward life. 10% is just in basic actions, what we do. And so we choose our attitudes in every situation. Um, It's not far-fetched to think that God allows circumstances to come into our life. He allows life to happen to gauge where we are at in our spiritual growth by how we respond to that situation, how we respond to that particular circumstance, to that loss of a loved one, to the degrading health situation we may find ourselves in, to the broken relationships. He's gauging our attitude. Amen. And uh, we read here in Numbers uh, chapter 10 and Numbers chapter 11, where the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt, and they are now uh, on their journey to the Promised Land. And um, we, course of, we, of course, know that the Lord tested them uh, nine different times, and each time they, they failed the test. They had the wrong attitude toward the circumstance, or they had the wrong response to the situation they found themselves in. One of their complaints, of course, um, and we can relate to this on, on so many levels, is, well, we've left Egypt, now we're out here in the desert and we're hungry. We're hungry. We just didn't, we weren't able to bring enough food to last the 40 years that uh, we're being punished uh, to wander the wilderness. And so the Lord provided manna from heaven. He miraculously caused this, this substance, this food, this sustenance, this protein, this fat to appear every morning for them to gather, uh, for them to eat. And, uh, you know, and so God's great provision, he knew exactly what they needed to sustain them in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, it wasn't long, was not long at all, after they started receiving manna, the provision of God, the miracle of God that they began to complain about the provision that God 
gave them and the miracle that God performed in their life. And, and you can almost see them start to grumble every time they go out in the morning and they look across the field and they see the miracle from heaven all over the place and kind of scoff at it and say, what, manna again? Very quickly, the miraculous daily manna became the taken-for-granted, boring routine. What God said, this is enough. This is what I'm giving. This is what's going to sustain you. Trust me. It wasn't long until after that miracle, it was just same old, same old, boring. And in their mind, it simply was not enough. They were coveting something else. They were coveting something more. They desired something somewhere else beyond what God was willing to give to them. They had a covetous attitude. Amen. A covetous attitude. And that's the attitude we're going to teach on this morning. The covetous attitude. Now, the problem with covetousness is simply this. We've met the enemy. And the enemy is us. You see, covetousness is rampant in the modern world in which we live in, especially in Western, more civilized, advanced societies such as the United States. It is rampant in the Western world, and sorry to say, it's also rampant in the church. And what covetousness does, it blocks the flow of God's fullness in our lives. When we begin to covet things that God has not blessed us with, we begin to block the blessing that God wants to pour out. See, materialism and covetousness are battering the shores of this great nation and and, and it comes down to a simple statement. We never have enough. We never have enough. There's statistics that show this. The percentage of Americans willing to admit that earning as much money as possible is their lifetime goal grew from 38% to 63% in the last 20 years. Lifetime goal. What matters to me most, 63% of Americans say, I want to make as much money as possible. I want to have stuff. Because enough is never enough. The number of college students who link prosperity and happiness grew from 41% to 74% in that same time span. 74% of college students say, I'm doing this because I don't have enough. 
You don't think coveting is a problem in America? Stealing on the job is more, costs companies more than $400 billion every year. Latest statistics say that 40% of teenage boys and 30% of teenage girls stole something from a store. Since 1970, and here's the problem, the biggest problem, America has generated for its people each year an average of $700 billion of new wealth. Since 1970, we have exponentially become a richer nation by $700 billion every year. The number of millionaires soared from 2 million 20 years ago to 22 million millionaires in the United States last year. We never have enough. And I could go on and on with the statistics until we all feel sick, but here's the bottom line. You don't have to tell a man drowning in the ocean that he has a water problem. <laughs> and you don't have to tell a group of people who are drowning in a sea of covetousness that we have a materialism problem. It's as evident as, as, and plain as the nose on our face. And this is not a new problem. We go back in history, back to the book of Numbers, back to the children of Israel, exiting out of Egypt, and guess what? Enough wasn't enough. They wanted more. And it was that constant covetousness that was the attitude that caught that one of the attitudes that caused God to send a whole generation of his people into the wilderness to die. God does not like a covetous attitude. So let's define the wilderness attitude of covetousness a little bit further. There's a four-part definition to this. Part number one, covetousness is wanting the wrong things. Wanting power without a reason. Wanting control so that you're at the center of it all. Wanting wealth for personal gain. Wanting glory and praise. Wanting the wrong things in life. Covetousness, part number two, is wanting the right things, but for the wrong reasons. I want the role of leadership. There's nothing wrong with desiring to lead. The Bible says that if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a good thing. The good reason for wanting to be in leadership is to make an impact on the lives of others for the kingdom and for eternity. The wrong reason to want the right thing is recognition, power, and personal agenda. So covetousness is wanting the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Covetousness is wanting the right things at the wrong season or the wrong time. Just remember, God's timing is not always our timing. I can give you a really good example of this young couple in premarital counseling speaking with their pastor 
Are you committed to Christ? Yes, we are. Are you committed to each other? Yes, we are. You're getting married in three months. Are you committed to uh, hitting that deadline? Yes, we are. But we want to start sleeping together now because we're committed. Well, God ordained marriage. And the bed is undefiled. God ordained that a man and a woman would enjoy themselves in the covenant of marriage. Just because it's the right thing to do, it's the wrong time. Now that's just an example, but many times we covet things that we feel God is leading us to, but we try to advance God's agenda before the time is right. Covetousness is wanting the right things in the wrong amount. There's nothing wrong with wanting money. Because after all, money does make the world go round. Money does help when it comes to paying your utilities. Money helps when it comes to putting food on the table and clothes on your back and a roof over your head. Money helps. There's nothing wrong with desiring money, but we cannot desire money at the expense of relationships. We can't desire money at the expense of being faithful to the kingdom of God because we simply don't have time for the kingdom because we're working because we want money. More than if you want anything more than what God can provide, you're never going to be satisfied and you're always going to want more. Again, wanting the right things in the wrong amount. I want to be comfortable. I don't have to be filthy rich. No wonder uh, the Bible talks about the love of money. Money is the root of evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. No wonder Jesus said that it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven. As impossible as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Why? Because when you desire something more than what you need it for, it takes the place of where God is in your life and what God provides. Amen. And so this was the attitude that the children of Israel had in the wilderness. They wanted more than what God provided. The enough that God gave was simply that, not enough. And covetousness has a powerful stronghold in people's lives. You ever heard the term keeping up with the Joneses? Neighbor gets a new boat, I want a new boat. Neighbor gets a new car, I want a new car. The neighbor gets a new paint job on the house, I want a new paint job on the house. Neighbor gets a new grill, I want a new grill. Neighbor gets a new fly rod, I want the new fly rod. And the list goes on and on. It's covetousness. And it's a stronghold that must be broken in the lives of people. But it's a stronghold that is very prominent in the United States in the most prosperous country in the world. And this is the danger. We are as a nation and even as a church in denial about the attitude of coveting. 
let's go a bit deeper. Let's go into the story. We take a look at Numbers chapter 11. Now we're going to break this into three parts, like three acts in a play. Three situations, three uh, ideas about coveting. The events are recorded in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 35. And we're going to break this down. Act 1, the first portion is this. And we find this in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 10. Um, you can put it on the screen. I'm not going to read them yet. I'm just going to hit them um, as we go along. But Act 1 is yielding to covetousness and why God hates it. We discover this in the first portion of Numbers chapter 11. Covetous, there are three realities from the text that amplify the statement that yielding to covetousness, that God hates it. Number one, covetousness becomes sin when we yield. Numbers 11 verse 4 says this, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? The NASB version of the Bible says that the mixed multitude had greedy desires. They were looking for something other than what God had for them to be happy. They were looking for something other than what God provided to make them happy. It's practically impossible not to desire things. We all desire things. We desire experiences. We desire situations. This desire that is in us is innate. God created us as we are to desire things. So people always ask the question, well, when is wanting something a sin? When does a covetous thought or desire become a sin? And here's the answer. Answer covetousness becomes a sin when we yield to more than what God has for us. To desire things is not a sin, unless the thing you're desiring is a sin itself. But to want money is not a sin. We have to have it. To desire nice clothes is not a sin. We want to present ourselves to the world as nice. So there are things that we want to experience and situations we want to be a part of and, and desires that we have in our heart. They're not a sin in itself to desire it, but it's when we yield to more than what God has planned for us. Let's go back to Numbers 11.4. The mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings or greedy desires. They gave in to the desires, yielded themselves to that intense craving. You say, well, why do people yield? I, I don't want to yield. And you know, why, why would somebody give in to that? Well, here's, I think, the problem. Part number two of this is when we dwell on those fleshly desires, yielding is only a matter of time. When we dwell on fleshly desires beyond what God has provided for us, giving into those desires is only a matter of time. 
Notice the Israelites were yielding to intense cravings. First, they asked the question, who will give us meat to eat? In other words, we're tired of the manna. This is not enough for me. I want more. Then they started to dwell on their desire in verse number 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions. We remember all this good stuff. And that's all they thought about was everything that they were missing while they were in captivity. Imagine that. But notice how covetousness inflates pleasure. When you covet something, you begin to make it more attractive and accessible than it really is. Because you want it so bad. And in doing so, you create rationalizations in order to get the things that you want. You make excuses. You rationalize why it's okay to do this. To want this, to desire this, to pursue this. And so covetousness inflates the desire while it ignores the danger. Let me stop here, it's not my notes, but let me. The things that they were desiring, they never had. They were slaves in Egypt. They didn't get the fresh fish and eat of it freely. They didn't get the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and and the garlic to season it all. They knew that the Egyptians had it. They knew those things were in Egypt, but they never had it. But they began to rationalize everything they lost and that they coveted and desired beyond what God provided them. They did not have these things, but they rationalized that God brought them out and took them away from the good food. But let's watch this principle work itself out with the children of Israel. Verse number 6. We remember all these things, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. I mean, you can almost hear the disgust in their voices as they look at what God had provided them to eat. I mean, just look at this manna. I mean, it's, oh, again. We've had this for the last week every single day. I mean, was it really that bad? Much like most of the journey out of Egypt, God wanted to know if they'd be obedient and thankful for his provision. Or would they respond with the wrong attitude? Would they covet something more, something different, something better? Again, it's not too far-fetched to say that God was inspecting their attitudes. It got so bad, they complained so much, 
and wanted to go back to Egypt so bad to eat things that they never got to eat in the first place because they were just tired of what God was giving them because it wasn't enough. It got so bad. We go to verse 9. It says, And when the dew fell on the camp that night, the manna would fall with it. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. I mean, can you imagine that? They were so bent out of shape, and they were so bent about the gap between what the Lord provided and what they wanted, they were literally lying around in their tents throwing tantrums. I mean, just whining and crying, literally weeping. Because what God provided was not enough. They wanted more. They wanted more. In verse 10, as a result, the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And Moses was displeased. At the root of covetousness is a rejection of God's sufficiency. At the root of covetousness is a rejection of God's sufficiency. I mean, that's really the bottom line. And it's the reason God hates this attitude so much. In effect, they were saying to God, it's not enough. Nice try, but it's not enough. I have needs, and I think this is where they had some confusion. They're confusing needs with desires. I have needs, and you're not taking care of them. You promise to be all I need, but you are not enough. The question is will we be grateful? And satisfied with God and his provision for us. Do we want more? Do we want something better or something different beyond what God is blessing us with? And if that's the case, then what is it going to take to get to that settled place where the central passion of our lives is this? God, you're all I need. God, you are enough and the hard truth is my covetous attitude is rejecting the sufficiency of God in my life and then we go on to act number two in this story which is a gift from God that you don't want numbers chapter 11 verse number 18 God speaking to Moses, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt. Oh, how they forgot. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. See, God's response to their covetous attitude was one of judgment, not one of blessing. 
He didn't give in to their whining and their crying and say, fine, fine, if you'll stop crying and being a baby about it, I'm going to give you what you want. He just simply says, I'm going to give you what you want. Fine. In other words, there, there's a bit of attitude on God's part back. Therefore, in verse, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month. I'm going to give you quail. I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. This storyline is a big storyline. It's such a big storyline that David wrote about it in Psalms. In Psalm 106, verse number 15 David spoke of it and the resulting consequence. He says this, He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They were physically full, but spiritually starving. In essence, they were asking God to replace himself with something we consider more important. That is what covetousness is. And when we do this, God will often allow us to experience firsthand the consequences of substituting anything for him. God will allow us to suffer the consequences of our desires. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And this was the instance that the children of Israel were facing because of their covetousness. They received a gift from God that they thought they wanted but didn't want. You see, in time, we may hate what we had to have. Let's look at the text again. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, but a whole month. Let's go on. Until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. No doubt about it, God was ticked off at their arrogant rejection of his adequate provision and goodness. He said, fine, you're going to get what you want and I'm going to give it to you until it makes you sick. And you despise the very thing that you wanted. Because they thought the meat could satisfy them in a way that God could not. And so he gave so much to them that they choked on it. The U.S. is the most prosperous Nation in the world financially, we are blessed beyond measure. Some of us have more than what we would ever could ever deserve. But when will we wake up to the fact that more is not synonymous with blessing? Maybe the problem is our prosperity. Maybe our prosperity is the meat. That we have begged God for. And now we're choking on what we had to have. He gave them their request. But sent leanness into their soul. It's a consuming covetousness. And I've seen this 
consuming covetousness in the careers of men and women climbing the corporate ladder only to result in shattered marriages and prodigal children. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. I've seen this covetousness in the single adult who just had to get married and could not wait on God, only to come to the pastor's office weeping over the worst mistake of their life that resulted in misery and brokenness. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And if your life at all resembles the covetousness found in these couple uh, examples, I want you to be warned. Covetousness will take you to the place in life where you hate the very thing that you had to have. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. I mean, what does it profit a man if he gains everything that he wants but loses his soul? There are consequences to thinking that we know better than God. There are consequences to thinking that his enough is not enough for me. There are consequences in thinking and questioning his provision and his sufficiency. There are consequences of covetousness. Verse number 31 in Numbers chapter 11. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. God said, do you want them? You can have them. And I'm going to make it very easy for you to get them. I'm going to send them a day's journey. They're going to drop from the sky. And they're going to be two cubits deep all around camp. You don't even have to hunt for them. I'm just going to give them to you. People spent all day in verse number 32... And all night and all the next day to gather quail. 36 hours spent gathering birds that were three feet deep. I mean, how many birds could one person get? Well, the Bible actually says that he who gathered the least gathered ten homes. You know what 10 homers is? That's 60 bushels of birds. The one who gathered least, the one who was a vegetarian, the one who was lazy, who want, the one who just didn't care, who gathered the least, gathered 60 bushels of quail. Now, imagine the hundreds of thousands of Israelites gathering quail for 36 hours straight and the least gathered amount was 60 bushels imagine the chaos and the complications 
of bringing all those dead animals into camp. Let me remind you, there was no refrigeration of any kind. I have seen birds processed. It is not quick and easy. No matter how small they are. There's a lot of boiling. There's a lot of plucking. There's a lot of cleaning. Inside and out. For one bird. But 60 bushels of birds had to be taken care of. By one person who was lazy. Who collected the least amount. The chaos. Of getting what they wanted. The complications that arise because they got what they asked for. I mean, can you even imagine the smells on the second day of processing? Again, no refrigeration. The birds have been dead over 24 hours now in the heat of the wilderness. <laughs> the consequences, one of the consequences of covetousness is that it destroys the capacity to discern sufficiency. It distorts our thinking to the point where enough wasn't enough. If they could have discerned, I only need five quail to feed my family today. But because enough is never enough, and they gave in to the desires of their flesh. They didn't know when to quit. And it caused chaos. It caused complications. Because enough wasn't enough. And when your life is a covetous life. And you're living for something else more. Something else that you feel is better or something different. Or perhaps it's a relationship or a possession. When desires for something are controlling you. You lose your capacity to discern sufficiency. Because enough is never enough for you. The more you get, the more you want. And it begins to compound in problems. And, and it begins to compound the chaos in your life. Amen. Your life becomes complicated. And it leads to wilderness living. And eventually spiritual death. Notice what it says in verse 33 and 34. It says, while the meat was still between their teeth. They're in the middle of chewing. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a severe plague. Those who choose the wrong attitudes as their lifestyle, will spend their lifetime in dry, dead, cheerless, grief-filled, unhappy existence of a spiritual wilderness. You will be consumed by the desires of your flesh. Your life will be thrown into chaos and complication. Because the more we covet... The more we anger God to the point he says, fine, you can have what you want. And then there are consequences. There are consequences to questioning the sufficiency 
of God. A covetous attitude must be replaced. And so we're going to learn from their story. We're going to learn from their mistakes. Lee Stone King says it a lot. He says, learn from the mistake, from the mistakes of others. Because you will not live long enough to make them all yourself. (laughs) The writers of the New Testament said, these are an example to us. And God hates a covetous attitude and spirit. And so it must be replaced, and this is what we're going to talk about next week. We must replace a covetous attitude with an attitude of contentment. Where God's provision is enough. Amen. And so next week, attitude of contentment. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray this word into our heart. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, thankful for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the instruction. Thank you, Lord, for revealing some things to us through your word. I pray that God would take this word and we hide it in our hearts. Help us to understand, God, that this wrong attitude of of coveting things that, that are beyond what you want to provide. Help us, Lord God, to be secure and sure, Lord, of your sufficiency and what your provision is, that it is enough for us. Lord, I pray that you bless your people in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. 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 So in about 14 minutes, we'll gather back together and celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ together. God bless you.